Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. First love, up to part three. Week one was the law and the order. Jesus, when tempted by the devil in the desert, said to the devil, devil, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, it's not either or. It's not either worship or service. It's both and. It's worship and service. Everyone say and. It's the both and. But you've got to get the right order. And so Jesus said it's worship first. If we do not have worship first, our service will suffer. If you put service before worship, you are heading for burnout or you'll give up. It's as simple as that. If you put worship before service, sorry, service before worship, you will end up either giving up or burning out. But if we keep worship first, we can serve Him all the days of our life because it's the worship that will give us the oil to keep doing the job. That's the law of the and and the order. Last week we looked at more than believing. Believing in God isn't the same as knowing God. We said believing in God is not enough. If it was, the devil himself would be a Christian because he believed in God. No, Paul says, I pray that you might know him more. We want to go deeper in our relationship with God. We want to go deeper in our understanding with him. That's what this season is about. And hopefully it's not just an event. I don't want this fast just to be an event. I want it to be something that uh, takes us to another level and we just build from there. Which brings me to week number three. And the title of my message today uh, is this, Endless Love. We should probably put a song in your head with Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. My endless love. I don't know why I'm not on the worship team. It's ridiculous, really. Awesome, awesome. And so by way of introduction, I want to tell a little story of something that was so profound. It was a game-changing moment in my life. Happened at the age of 12. At the age of 12... I got in the car one day with my mum and two friends. We went to the Elizabeth Shopping Centre. And mum left us to do our thing and said that we would meet back in a certain time. And in the meantime, I grabbed a pack of chewy, which was actually bubble gum. I don't know if you remember back in the day, bubble yum, bubble gum. Remember that? I grabbed some strawberry bubble yum, bubble gum. And I was waiting in line. I thought, to heck with this. Can't be bothered waiting. I just took it and ran. Laughed and joked with my mates, opened the packet, took a chewy for myself, gave one to my friends, and thought I was just eating a bit until someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, come with me. And at that moment, I cannot tell you the overwhelming sense of shame and guilt that flooded my little 12-year-old heart. I sat in a room They asked if I was with my parents. I said, yes. They asked me my name. And I'll never forget these words that came over the PA system. Can Mrs. Rainbow come to Manchester? Can Mrs. Rainbow come to Manchester? And I sat there, just horrified at what I'd done. My mum came in, found out what had happened. She was visibly upset and distressed, understandably. Got straight in the car, drove home. 
my two friends that were with me said, uh, I'll see you in a year's time. <laughs> Mates are good like that, aren't they? Someone to stand, a brother that stands in time of need, boom, gone. And as I'm walking into the house, mum says these words. Maybe some of you have heard this before. You wait till your father gets home. And honestly, for the next couple of hours, it was horrific. It's horrible. And to be honest, I was happy never to see my dad again at that point. Which is really bizarre, because what you need to understand is only 24 hours earlier, I couldn't wait for dad to get home. Because when dad would come home from work, we had a little deal. Half an hour, we'd go down to the paddocks with my two brothers and all of our mates, and we'd play cricket. 24 hours earlier, I couldn't wait to see my dad. And now, because of something I did, I didn't want to be anywhere near him. I didn't want to see him. I didn't want to listen to anything he had to say. And I certainly didn't want to be in his presence. And in my little 12-year-old heart and 12-year-old mind, I thought, if I never see my dad again, I'll be more than happy. I would love to be able to tell you that's the only time I've ever done anything wrong. My life is filled with mistake after mistake. And no matter what the mistake, whether it was the innocent mistake, the accidental mistake, or the downright disobedient mistake, I've done plenty of those two, it all ended up in the same result. Shame and guilt. Letting people down. I've let myself down. And as I have been in ministry for a number of years, and I listen to people's stories, I think I'm not the only one. In actual fact, I haven't met anyone yet who doesn't have a similar story. You may not have taken some bubble yum, bubble gum. You may have done more wicked things. You may not have. But all of us have experienced the sense of shame and guilt that comes with doing something that you're not proud of. And what I've noticed, it always equals in isolating or isolation and isolating yourself from those that you love the most or know the most or are known by the most. It's the same for all of us. Here's the thing. If these feelings are undealt with, it will affect your relationship with God and every relationship you ever have. And I want to get to the bottom of this. I want to look into this this morning because this is an age-old problem. This is not new and it's not going away anytime soon. When I look at the disciples, the disciples experience the same thing. I want to pick on two characters from the New Testament, both that were disciples of Jesus, that experienced kind of what I'm talking about. The first one is Judas. Judas, it says in Matthew 26, verse 20, it says, When evening had come, maybe your subtitle says this is the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, just before Jesus goes on the cross. This is the moment there. It says, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. 
greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one Lord? He replied, one of you who was just taken from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die as the Scriptures declared long ago, but now, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays me. It would be far better for that man to have never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, yes, it's you. Nothing subtle about that. And we know the story. Judas ends up being the one who betrays the Son of Man, betrays Jesus. And it's really easy to write Judas off because he's, the, he's that in our minds, because everything we've ever read about the Bible is with hindsight. And so we write him off as he was the bad disciple. He was the, he was the bad apple. But let's look at another guy, Peter. Peter's kind of a bit of a hero in the New Testament. But let's look at this man, Peter. In Matthew 26, same chapter, verse 31. On the way, Jesus told them, so they've had the Lord's Supper. Judas has now run off to do what he's got to do. And Jesus is with the 11. And on the very same night as the Lord's Supper, he told them, tonight, all of you will desert me. One will betray me, but all of you will desert me. For the scripture says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all of the other disciples vowed the same. Peter's like, I will never do that. And they went, ditto, same. And yet, for all of Peter's boasts and Positive confession, we see that in just a little while, verse 75, Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. And it says, suddenly Jesus' word flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster cry, crows, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. And he went away and he whipped, uh, whipped he wept bitterly. It's so easy to write Judas off as the bad guy. But let me just say, Judas and Peter have a lot in common. Firstly, they were both disciples of Jesus. We know that to be true. They were the ones who walked and talked and lived with Jesus for a period of at least three and a half years. They both said that they would neither betray him nor deny him. Essentially calling Jesus a liar. They both called Jesus a liar. They were both guilty of pretty much the same thing. Denial, betrayal, potato, potato. I mean, we can argue which one's the worst, but at the end of the day, who would like to be betrayed? Who in this room would say, man, I can't wait to be betrayed? Can I say it's not pretty? But if I said to you, who wants to be denied? Imagine going home and your wife doesn't even acknowledge you exist. He said, I never knew the man. I mean, no one's going to like either of them. Both of these moments, both of these events, 
are really disturbing. And I think both of these events represent each and every one of us in this room. We're all guilty of the same thing. That's why the Bible says, with great reason, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, God doesn't call it betrayal or denial. He calls it sin. And that's the leveler for all of us. We're all in the same boat together. Here's another thing they had in common. They both repented. Judas gets these 30 pieces of silver for which he betrayed the Son of Man. He goes back to the religious authorities, throws the money at their feet and says, I am guilty. I have betrayed innocent blood. That's a pretty significant apology, ownership of one's mistakes. Peter, after the rooster crows, having denied Jesus not once, twice, but thrice, three times, weeps bitterly. They're both in the same place at this moment. They're in the pit of despair. Both racked with shame and guilt. So there's a lot of similarities. And those similarities flow to us in this room. Disciples of Jesus. We've called Jesus a liar, let's be honest. That's not going to happen. He'll never, I'll never do that. Oh. Yeah? Am I talking to the right people? And many of us have repented. But for Peter and Judas, that's where the similarities stop. Because for Judas, he leaves that moment, even having repented, and goes away and takes his life. So sad. Peter goes on to take ground for the kingdom of God. What's the difference? What is the difference between these two men? And I'm convinced it was not in what they did, but it's how they responded after they did what they did. And that is an empowering thought that what we do doesn't have to define us and what we do doesn't have to end our career, destiny, ministry, marriage or life. And so I want to share some thoughts this morning that will help us to break free from this cycle of shame. Because I believe with God's help, we can renew our hearts and renew our minds. And just like Peter, we can learn to know, number one, that we are not our mistakes. We are not our mistakes. See, after Peter denied Jesus, guess what he did? He went back to doing what he used to do. That's where most people go back to. Used to drink, get, and now go back to the pub. I used to do this for a job. I got into ministry, and that didn't work out. So now I go back to what I used to do. It's the same cycle. And so here's Peter fishing. Only a few years earlier, Jesus said, put your nets down, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Fishing for you is over. You're done. We're done fishing. We're going to fish for men now. And Peter left everything at that moment, but then he went back to what he used to do. A dog returns to its vomit, a pig to its muck. And so he's having a bad time of it. And I can only imagine, as he's on that boat fishing, I imagine he's not thinking about fishing. I imagine he's wrecked with guilt and shame. 
And so on the third day when Jesus rises from the dead, the tomb is empty. Mary runs to the tomb, sees the tomb is empty, but sees this angelic figure. And I want you to catch these words. The angel spoke to Mary and he said in Mark 16 verse 6, Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they lay him. This is, this is the game changer. This angel, in total submission and obedience to the will of his creator, the Father, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Go tell Mary, go tell the disciples and Peter. This is a game changer. Go tell the disciples. Why did he have to put, and Peter? I'll tell you why. Because at that moment, Peter didn't think he was a disciple. And more than likely, the other disciples didn't think he was a disciple. That boxed him. That labelled him based upon what he'd done. You're a bad boy. You're not the Messiah. You're just a naughty, naughty boy. You're not a disciple. You've messed up. And so God intervenes, brings an angel. You better make sure you tell Peter because his days are not over. His best days are ahead. The best is yet to come for Peter. You better include Peter in that deal. See, we're not our sins. We're not our mistakes. We're not our shortcomings. What we do is not who we are. And what others have done to us is not who we are. We live in a broken, messy world and it's getting more broken and it's getting more messy and the stories are getting more horrific. We talk to people all the time and they, they come to us messed up. Broken people. And if I have one message for you this morning, it's this, you are not what you've done. You're not what people have done to you. You are better than that. You are bigger than that. And stop messing around with people who tell you anything different. Live bigger lives. Because I believe God is saying, tell the disciples and Sam. Tell the disciples and Paul. Tell the disciples and Ben. Tell the disciples and Dan. Tell the disciples and Ryan. Tell the disciples and Big Bad Bazza. Tell him. not just for the elite few who never sinned. Because in that club is only one man. In the I've never sinned club, the captain, the president, and the only member of that club is Jesus. And so we're all in this together. Let me get back to my shoplifting story. Because for me, what happened was a game-changing moment for me. What happened when my dad got home was my Mark 16, verse 7, go tell Tony moment. After pacing and waiting frantically for a couple of hours, it felt like years, to be honest, just getting more and more wrecked with guilt and shame. 
heard the car pull up, and I felt like my heart stopped. Everything slow. Went downstairs into the kitchen. I'm crying. Mum's there. Dad walks in, and being the discerning man that he is, says, what's going on? It's pretty obvious I'm like a mess. And, and my mum says, tell him what you did. And I, I was a snivelling mess. I, I, I was a little bit like Lisa on a good day. And just, <laughs> <laughs> I got caught shoplifting. <laughs> I was a mess. I took some chewing gum without paying for it. And when I got those words out, my body tensed up. You know why? I was bracing myself for the impact. I would have said smack, but you're not allowed to say that anymore. So just like... Dad looks at me. I'll never, I'll never forget. This is a game changer. Dad looks at me and says, Tony... You should have been quicker. <laughs> you should have been quicker. You should have taken those things, run as fast as you can. You should have been quicker. Now, I, I want you to know, even as a 12-year-old boy, I knew dad was not condoning shoplifting. I knew he wasn't approving of my actions. But I learned an invaluable lesson that day. That the love my father has for me is far deeper than anything I'll ever do. And in spite of how bad I make him look like as a parent, and I did that really well, it wasn't going to change how he feels toward me. And that's why I'm forever grateful for my dad. And yes, I have a mom, and yes, I have brothers, and yes, I have mentors, but my dad was there in those moments, shaping my life and my thought patterns. And you are the beneficiaries of that. If you're ever grateful to anything we have done, Kath and I, in this, you, really, you can't do it without acknowledging my dad's input in me. He's, he's, he's the quiet achiever behind the scenes. And he turns 80 in April, and I think we should celebrate that personally. And I realized, wow, here's someone who's going to stand with me and love me no matter how bad I make him look. Can you see where I'm going with this? How bad do we make God look? With our squabbling, our wind, and he continues to love us. See, you are not your mistakes. You're just not. I'll tell you who you are. You are a child of the living God. You are forgiven. You are saved. You are healed. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. That's who you are. That's a game changer. That's a game changer. And that being true, we need to meditate on that. We need to get this into us. This is a message you've got to get to and listen again. And you've, got to, you've got to meditate on this. You've got to get this into you. You've got to believe it. We've got to speak it out aloud. Secondly, humility is a choice, not a personality trait. Humility is a choice, not a personality trait. I say that because Peter had one of those larger-than-life personalities. He was a guy who was always... 
speaking up first. He was the guy who was always, you know, there first. You know, when, when they ran to the tomb, it says John outran Peter. But when John got to the tomb, he goes, oh, I'm not going to there, creeps. In my paraphrased version, it said it gave John the willies. <laughs> but Peter gets there a little bit later, but he just keeps running. He goes straight on in. That's Peter. He goes straight on in. When Jesus asks a question, who do the people say that I am? They've all got answers. But then Jesus says, what about, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And everyone's quiet. But Peter, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. This is Peter. When they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is about to be arrested, these cronies come and take Jesus. Peter's there with his sword, cutting off people's ears. P.S. He's going for the head. He's just missed. You don't mean the other disciples doing that. But it's Peter. Jesus is walking on the water one day. And they're all freaking out. It's a dark and stormy night. And the only other thing you see on a dark and stormy night is a ghost. They think they've seen a ghost walking on the water. Ooh. And Jesus says, it's me. And Peter goes, whatever well, it's you, tell me to come. He says, well, come then. Come on. And the disciples are like, what? Peter starts walking. He's the guy who's walking on water. Yes, he began to sink. Imagine the disciples. Uh, Peter began to sink. Peter began to sink. And Peter had to go, shut up. Which one of you have walked on water? That's Peter. He's got this big personality. He's the guy who stood up on the day of Pentecost and spoke and 3,000 were added. That's Peter. And we can confuse Peter's bold personality with, with being arrogant and miss his humble heart. In 1 Peter, which is the letter he penned toward the end of his life, Three times he talks about humility. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. See, one of the qualities I most admire about Peter is his humility. The fact that he could humble himself. See, most of us confuse humility with personality. And so we, we interpret... Interpret humility as being quiet, softly spoken, easygoing. But that, that kind of takes us down a track that gets us further and further away from what true humility is. Probably the best way for us to understand what humility is is to look at what's the opposite of humility. And the opposite of humility is not being loud or boisterous. Because that's what we come to. No, the opposite of humility is pride. And there's a lot of people that are quieter than church mice who are full of pride. Full of it. But Peter was who he was. And we, and we, we should never put anyone down because of their personality because that's been given by God. Some are going to be louder than others, but it doesn't mean that they are not humble. I love the fact that Peter could humble himself. And I think that was a game changer for him, that he could truly humble himself and not just live in pride. Because when you're, when you're nursing, rehearsing, I, I can't believe I did that. That's pride. I can't believe I let them down. That's pride. Yeah. When you live there, you're living in pride because yeah. you're still at that moment thinking you were better than you actually are. Yeah. So we hold ourselves, but we call it humility. 
But it's just pride disguised yeah. as humility. And it's that self-talk at that moment that will take you up or down. And I believe Peter to be a man that was able to truly humble himself. And that's why when they saw Jesus on the shore when they were fishing, it was Peter that jumped out of the boat and swam to Jesus. He was always pressing into Jesus. With his big, bold personality, with the many mistakes that he made, he was the one pressing into Jesus. Not staying away because, oh, I can't believe I can't believe I did that. That's pride. It's pride. Whereas Peter's got this humble attitude, oh, man, I've stuffed up. I totally messed that up. I wish I didn't, but I have. Thank God for Jesus. I love him so much more knowing I can come to him. And Peter gets closer and closer to Jesus. Pride will take you further and further away. I can't believe I did that. Oh, anyways, and then and if it, here's the thing with pain, uh, blame, blah, blah, blah. Shame. If you don't deal with shame, return to pain, and the pain will turn to blame. And we see that all the time. And now we're blaming God. Well, anyway, they should never have asked me to do that. And it always starts with blaming authority figures, whether it's God, your parents, your aunties and uncles, teachers, pastors. Man, I've been blamed for so many people's marriages, and I, you know, seriously. They came to us divorced, but somehow that was my fault before I even knew them. It's just crazy. It's crazy. But humility is saying, I stuffed up, but I thank God for Jesus. I thank God for Jesus. That's true humility. Acknowledging His greatness, not my failures. And when, when you truly live humble, you'll forgive yourself and you can forgive others. How well do you forgive yourself? How well do you forgive others? I believe it's linked to humility. Which brings me to my third point. You can't love without risk. We have the band come up. You can't love without risk. See, love demands that we risk. Love is, in fact, a risky business. True love is to put yourself out there knowing that you're going to be hurt again. That's love. That's love. It's what it is. William Burroughs said this, there is no intensity of love or feeling that does not involve the risk of crippling hurt. It is a duty to take this risk, to love and to feel without defense or reserve. For us to love and get back to our first love, we've got to risk again. Unfortunately, there are many people who just don't want to risk again because it equals too much hurt. And then they live in the pain of isolation. There's always hurt. You've got to choose your hurt. There's always going to be pain, but we've just got to choose our pain. And I'd rather choose the pain of letting down those that I love the most and being let down by those I love the most to enjoy the intimacy and the fellowship, and the sweetness of those relationships. I choose that every time. I choose that every time. The reason I'm more in love with my wife today is because we have this philosophy, ah, stuff an egg. Start again. 
You know the prayer meeting we had, the very first prayer meeting, awesome night. Let me tell you something that happened. I shared this with Chapel last week. I didn't get to share it with you, but it's, it's awesome. Because we had this incredible night, and I was up here, and, and the anointing, and the presence of God, and we're going without food, and the, so many people turned up. It was an amazing night, wasn't it? So you think when you get home, it's just going to be like, you know, angels, and... and so we get home, we're trying to get the kids ready for bed, and, and I'm hot, I mean, I've been doing this, and, and so I get home, so, sorry for the graphic, but just bear with me. I, I get home, I've got my jeans on, so I take my jeans off, and I'm in my jocks now, downstairs in the cool of the air conditioner, and I thought, I couldn't be bothered going upstairs to get my shorts, so I'm just sitting there in my jocks, just, just basking in the greatness of the prayer meeting. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear the doorbell. I'm like, who's visiting at this time of it? You know. Anyway, someone's like, you know, whatever. And then uh, the doorbell's getting more and more. And ding, 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 ding. Like, what the heck? Will someone get the door, but they can't hear it? And I'm thinking, where's Kath? I think I got married for. Where's my wife? You know, like, what? Where? I mean, my job. And so then I'm thinking, man, if I've got to answer, I've got to run upstairs. I'm running upstairs trying to look for something to put on. And I'm, just, and I'm coming downstairs. It's like, and I come to the door, and it's Kath. She's been locked out the house. Don't even ask me how that happened. And so Kath, I mean, we've got a different story. But let me tell you, this is my version. My version is, I open the door and she just launches at me. What the hell are you for? <laughs> and so I just come straight back and go, what are you doing outside for? Who locks himself out? And we're just going on. It's like 15 minutes of this nonsense. <laughs> Can I just say, whoever started it, it wasn't my finest moment as a husband. It certainly wasn't her finest moment as a wife, particularly starting the thing. And Mitchie comes down because I think, I think it was Mitchie who locked the door. So Mitchie's in the middle, oh, I'm just, just trying to make it all right. And so I'm like, what are you doing up? Why aren't you in bed? This is after an incredible night of worship and praise. Oh. And 15 minutes, it was just on, over nothing. It is pretty ridiculous. Just being locked out of your own house, a bit weird. But anyway, <laughs> but you know what? That moment aside, this is what we've always been able to do. So you know what? That's stupid. That was dumb. That was over nothing. We kiss, we hug, apologize. And we generally hum as we move on. And I'm going to turn every one of my messes into a message. I entertain you with all my dumb stories because the devil's trying to take me out with them. And I want to say, devil, I'm going to rub your nose in this. I'm going to tell everyone that I was in my jocks, I with my wife. Because you know what? I think we've all got a jocks, arguing your wife story. Give or take. Give or take. That's what I love about Peter. He did some dumb things after denying Jesus. 
But somehow, he was able to bounce back. And on the day of Pentecost, he stands before a massive crowd and 3,000 are added. That could have been Judas with him. I know Judas was an instrument in getting Christ to the cross. I know that. But he still could have moved on. He still could have taken the same action as Peter. But he chose not to. Just chose not to. And here's the thing with Peter. It's not like after that moment he was just... No, no. Peter's life was like... He had blips. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes. Now it's, in the, it's in the everlasting Word of God. Another one of Peter's mistakes. Paul says, I had to address because of the error that was going on. And the disciples, even the disciples were led astray by the, religious, the religiosity of the Pharisees. And even Peter. And I had to oppose him to his face. There's another Peter. And somehow he's like, yep, you're right. Shake it off and move on. doesn't matter what's happened. It's what we do. And through Peter's ability to receive a fresh revelation of the Father's love, through Peter being humble enough to surrender to God on a daily basis, and because his ability to continue to take risks, he finished well. Tradition records that Peter was the one who was crucified upside down because when given the opportunity or the option to be crucified, he said, if I must be crucified, I'm not worthy of being crucified in the same manner of Christ. And he asked, tradition says, to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Christ. This is, this is a whole nother level of intimacy. And it starts with humility. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.